Menace to Sports is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity, like Progressive Home and Auto Policies. They're best when bundled, too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings is $779 by new customers surveyed who save with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, not available in all states. This podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom.com for all of your legal template needs, including cease and desist letters. Menace to society. It is Thursday, August 22nd for Patreon subscribers. And it's Friday, August 23rd for the rest of yous. Uh, we're going to switch the format up of this show a little bit. Um, at the advice of our some of our friends over at the Scarlet and Great podcast, we're going to get into this episode now. Like now. We'll update you guys throughout the show on some of the administrative things. But, but of all the shows to kind of dive into, this is the one that we, I cannot wait to get into. Um, real quick update before we do that, uh, we, we surpassed 500,000 downloads and listeners yesterday. Uh, we actually had 40,000 downloads just last night alone, which is insanity. Um, we even have a new, new episode get put out. It's wild. <laughs> so that's insane. But um, this will be a blip in the radar of where the, this platform is going. So buckle up because uh, shit just got real. Um, it was already going to be a show that lifted the hood of college football. It was already going to give you an unfiltered insight into such a monstrous machine that is college athletics. But now, now we're getting threatened by a top five college football program. <laughs> uh, this is how you know we're on to something. When multi-million dollar athletic departments are taking time to pay lawyers to send meaningless cease and desist letters in the hopes of scaring us, this is different than any other show. And the best part, I mean the best part, is it's only inspiring us. So let's get down to business. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. Or do you do what everybody else in the media does, just create some shit and throw it on the wall and see what sticks, which is what I see happening everywhere. Where are we at in society today? I'm a man. I'm 40. When my time on earth is gone and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Let's dive in with a little sports trivia. What do you got? All right. So it is August 22nd for our Patreon listeners. On August 22, 2007, this MLB team set the modern record for runs scored when they beat the Baltimore Orioles 30-3. to Ooh, the Orioles, huh? So I'm thinking probably in the East. Um, it's pretty much anyone if it was against the Orioles, right? Well, yeah, the Yankees <laughs> have been hitting major home runs against the Orioles recently, so I'll just say Yankees. That's incorrect, actually. <laughs> I'm going Red, with the I'll go with Red Sox. The Cleveland Indians. Nope, both of you are wrong. <laughs> it would be none other than George W. Bush's Texas Rangers. <laughs> oh, the Rangers, huh? Wow. Yep. Oh, that's 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 a that's a good a good trivia question for the Texas fans today. <laughs> exactly. I thought it was uh, you know unique and fit 30, the 30 fit the three. bill. So what's tell me what's a modern record? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's just. Since they started keeping track of records, because mm-hmm. baseball's been played for so long, there was probably a game back in the 1800s that was like 45 to, to 21 or something. <laughs> but how would you know that score if they didn't keep records? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask know. the record God, people. This trivia, this <laughs> trivia is flawed. Oh, my God. All right. Anyways, for everybody who is not a Patreon <laughs> listener, it is August 23rd. And on August 23rd, 1970, this MLB hitter compiled his record-setting second straight five-hit game. Wow. Who was it? 1970. Jeez. I don't know. Babe Ruth. <laughs> no, right. I think that's a little, <laughs> a little more modern. <laughs> I don't know. It was Roberto Clemente. Oh, there you go. A lot of baseball trivia. Yeah, when are we going to football trivia? <laughs> I'm hoping next week there's some football stuff. We're getting into that time of year. So, right. Well, that was, uh, I got to be honest, that was much less 
entertaining than last week's with the little people. And <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no more little people playing baseball. So there's got to be something. Is there funny. a birthday? We need I, to do. I better. got no birthdays. No, it's no. No one was born today. No one. I'm all. sure somebody was. All right. Um, <clears throat> so let's, I want to talk about a couple a couple things from last week's episode. Um, the first is about the Texas A and M twelfth man. Um, I had a lot of response about it because I said it was just the nickname for their fans, and I I get the backstory, but I, I did want to uh, address it to to the audience because I don't know that any, everyone knows it, and I didn't even know the entire story. But uh, but Richard Blandford wrote in and, and gave us a little a historical breakdown of it, and wanted to share it with you. Uh, so. The Texas A&M 12th man tradition came about when they were playing Center College in the Dixie Classic game in 1922. A&M only had 11 players on, on the team, so a student up in the press box was informed that if someone got hurt, he was the 12th man that would have to go in the game. He ended up not being needed, and the Aggies scored the upset over the favored praying colonels who had ended Harvard's three-and-a-half-year undefeated run during the 20, 1921 season. Uh, another tradition, I guess, having to do with Center College, uh, the Phi Delta fraternity brought a portrait of former Chief Justice Fred Vincent to every home game, regardless of weather, as he made every game from his graduation on, including taking a train from D.C. to make the home game. So huh. there's a little uh, there's a little trivia for you from Richard. <laughs> well, good to know. Yeah, so yeah. that's a little update on the 12th man. Uh, we were aware that it was not just a nickname, that there was a backstory, but uh, it's an interesting backstory. Um, I did want to uh, di- also dive into a kind of a Buckeye update um, just for the Ohio State listeners. I know there's been a lot of talk uh, about the recent interviews with the players, and I know they're kind of shut down until next week, which is game week, by the way. Fired oh, yeah. up for that. All right. FAU. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot of hype around Josh Proctor, um, which actually I brought up two weeks ago, I believe, two, three weeks ago, because he uh, every every report I heard from from the staff and from people that I know in the program is that he's an absolute freak of nature, and he's playing on another level right now. And uh, the staff and people inside the program have been raving about him since really the summer. And I, I get it now it's news because, like, uh, Damon Arnett said it, but we've been talking about this for two to three weeks. Um, he's very Malik Hooker-esque, and uh, I'm really excited to see him play this year because I know how highly touted he was when we recruited him. He played a little bit last year, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see him uh, play, kind of take the chains off and have that, that second-year bump in production. So excited about that. I also wanted to talk about another key position at Ohio State, and, and also we, we discussed this same topic already. But I wanted to play the audio uh, because he, Al Washington, the linebacker coach from uh, Ohio State, was interviewed about Tuff Borland, who we've discussed. Uh, I know people within the program believe that that uh, Tuff is that. I mean, you'll you'll listen. Al even says it. He's a warrior. He's uh, just excellent and, and just does everything you ask and flies to the ball. And uh, the the issue that that I see across college football is is can you unseat a captain, the leader? For a better, more talented player, can you do that? Um, it's it's the question that you have for every coach. Do they have the balls to do it? And so it'll be interesting to see if they do it. But I want to play this audio and just kind of break down what was said. When people say I want to see this, that, that, you know what? Let's. Hey, how about this? How about let's see them all? And you know, the reason you ask the question, how does Tough do it? You watch the tape. You come in with me and watch the tape. I'd like to, yeah. And you, well, that was. <laughs> but but you understand what I'm saying? There's a reason you just said it, and some—I mean—that kid is a warrior, and he gets to the ball, and so you know, and Taraja and Baron, those guys are gonna play too. They all—we all together, you know. So when people say that, you know, I feel like they're—you know—they're not—they're not living in our. But you know what? It's all good. Yeah. So when I listen to that, I, I hear a couple things uh, coming from the coach's perspective. The first thing is a frustration with the way the media is portraying Tough Borland, right? Yeah, he sounded kind of annoyed. Yeah, definitely annoyed. Probably, he, I mean, he's been asked the question a hundred times. He's I'm probably sure. been been dealing with how to deal with that on a, a, a player level with Tough. And so I, I sense the frustration there that listen, you, basically, without saying it, he's saying you all don't know what the hell you're talking about. Exactly. Come watch the film with me, which I love and I respect the shit out of that. And uh, I, I do think that the one good thing that that Al Washington has done is he gave them all a clean slate. So until Tough doesn't perform the way that they want him to perform, 
he's the guy. And so if, if he's having a great camp and had a great offseason, then he absolutely should be the guy. Um, I think the issue is, is I don't, I didn't see him run well enough to play middle linebacker at the Ohio State University last year, and I didn't see him the year before. And so I, they're they're using a he's finally healthy mantra, but I, I don't see at, at any school at any position a kid that can't run well enough all of a sudden gets injured, comes back healthy, and now he's a freak athlete running. So we'll see. I, I hope he does really well. I hope I hope Tuff's the guy. I do because I know he's the heart and soul of the the defense. Clearly, he was named a captain, and he's he's uh he's gonna be a, a very off the field and vocal leader. Uh, but we even talked about it, and, and we're gonna drop that video today. Is what is the what is the impact of a name like one kid, the JT Barrett? You have Dwayne Haskins behind him, but what is the impact of JT Barrett uh, intrinsically? Not just at, you know taking the snap and throwing a ball, or not just covering a running back out of the backfield. What is the intrinsic value of a one player? Like, what is the impact of the name on the back of the jersey when you say Joshua Perry? What was his impact playing Will Linebacker? When you say Curtis Grant, what was his impact playing middle linebacker? Because sometimes it supersedes simply one individual's performance. So uh, I'm excited to watch Tough, and I hope he's one of those guys that kind of transcends the sport and plays above his means and gets everyone else kind of Michael Jordan-esque to play to his level. But let's dive into our first segment. It's going to be one of our top 10 segments. Uh, and it is solely so all the Texas fans that just can't help themselves and talk shit about a shirt, a T-shirt, can understand that we have no ill will towards Texas. Uh, I personally actually really like Texas. Uh, everything the state stands for, uh, the high school football there, just the utmost respect for that, the program, uh, the history of Texas, like from the Vince Youngs and Mac Browns all the way back. Um, but unfortunately, your school hired an absolute clown of a human being, and I am sorry. So I wanted to detail a not top 10, I guess you'd call it, uh, of Tom Herman career moments, in oh. my opinion. Oh, boy. This should be fun. <laughs> yeah, it might be interesting. Uh, and I wanted to do this segment because um, I, I'm confused as to whether uh, he and his wife have a program to worry about. Um, I don't know if he's aware, but there's a loaded LSU team coming into town in a couple weeks. And she, sheesh. About time you guys move on and worry about like trying to win the Big Twelve. No, just the shirts. <laughs> just uh, worry about a just T-shirt and a, and, a, and a little old podcast. <laughs> uh, but so here we go: the not top ten Tom Herman moments. Ten. So Tom Herman, uh, I believe I told the story, but I'm going to put the video up for Patreon members because it's actually I, I, this is not uh, like a clown show moment. This is actually I thought one, it was a, a good idea for him to to try to do this. I guess to inspire but uh Braxton Miller was hurt after 2012 for spring ball so he couldn't practice and so Tom was trying to find a way to keep him involved right and so he yeah at first he bought uh, like a shepherd's staff and he was trying to tell Braxton like you're like herding sheep you have to be the shepherd which was I don't know whatever that was ridiculous Weird. but so then it was like no it's not it's not working Braxton's not paying attention or whatever he's not he's not as engaged as I'd like so then he went out and he bought a legit cattle prod like a, t a taser for cattle have you if you ever seen one of these things I've never seen one until he got it and he and he gave it to Braxton for practice and he was like now you, you can't be a shepherd just trying to hurt him you got to like zap him and get him moving the way you want oh, and so he's trying to like convey a point um, I'm going to put the video out on Patreon because after work one day, we're all sitting around talking about, um, like, what What do you think this thing feels like? Yeah. And so he sure. had he had our GA zap him in the leg. And I videoed it because I was like, this crazy son of a bitch. And so uh, I thought it was awesome, actually. So the, That'd be the, definitely the number one question if you buy a cattle prod. Like, like, I wonder it? how this feels. Right. Absolutely. And so I, I'm going to put the video out, but uh, that... I, I guess that's a shitty start to the not top ten because I think it's awesome, but <laughs> but it was just it was just a bizarre moment in Tom Herman, uh, in into the the depths of Tom Herman's personality, I guess. Nine. I don't know if you guys. I'm sure you guys saw this. Everyone saw this. Uh, Tom Herman mocks Drew Locke, the quarterback at Missouri, after Texas uh, seals the victory. Oh yeah. And walking around like I mean, just such a douche with the horns on his chest. Huge win. That was a huge win for the well, that, program. That, that was my biggest thing. Is like, bro, you're beating Missouri. Yeah. Are you really that like fired up? And, and no disrespect to Missouri, but you're Texas. Like, if you said top five programs in the country, pretty much everyone is going to mention Texas. I don't think anyone in the country's mentioned Missouri. 
But I mean, certainly you should do that little mock. You should mock a 19 year old on the sideline as a grown ass man right. and the head coach at Texas. Um, what an accomplishment. Um, really excited for him about that. But that was, that was embarrassing. I think nationally, actually, I don't think I know. I'm pretty sure everyone just saw it and was like, wow, that guy's a douche. Well, that's what pretty much everyone <laughs> says. And, and I would be interested to hear Texas fans, uh, take on that because they, like, like every fan base, they have a way of like being like, oh, well, he makes, he makes $5 million. Who the hell are you? It's like, okay, <laughs> that's relevant. Uh, good point. Uh, good point. Fine, sir. So, uh, and I'd be interested to hear Texas fans' uh, perspective on that, but that's definitely my number nine countdown into Tom Herman, not top ten. Eight. Tom Herman, in the middle of the game, runs on the field to, I guess, fight Mike Gundy? I remember oh, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> what do you think his intentions were? Like, as he entered the field, was he, like, just blacked out and just said, "I'm screw it, I'm going to go beat this guy's ass? I, I- I have no idea what you're even thinking at that point. Yeah, I don't Running know. Out there, maybe, what are you going to accomplish? Maybe trying to motivate your players somehow or like, I don't know. But He probably didn't think about it before he did it. I mean, he must not have, but it did remind me of a story about Tom Herman, and I don't know that I told this story, but either way, it's a great story. I'll, I'll reiterate it. Um, Tom Herman is that guy that like, the, he's that hold me back bro guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where he'll, he'll like, he'll like act tough and act like irate and cause a scene and go after someone like but all in all in the while all the while he wants he's like okay i know that four people are going to hold me back yeah. and and i saw it the best evidence of that was um in matt drills our first year when uh vrabel and fickle were excited for the defense and he was trying to like get some mojo on offense and he starts going after mike vrabel like he's gonna fight him and i'll never forget it i'm like 10 feet away and i'm just laughing like what are you going to do to Mike Vrabel? <laughs> and of course, there was like four coaches holding back. He's like doing this. He, he looked exactly like he looked in the Oklahoma State game. Yeah. Like kind of trying to climb over him, yelling, <laughs> like like he'll do something about it. And you're like, bro, you are an unathletic fat guy. What are you going to do to Mike Vrabel? <laughs> but that just it just reminds me of it. Every time I see the clip of him running on the field and the refs are holding him back and he's like climbing over the refs, like, are you going to fight, you gonna fight uh, Mike Gundy? What was Vrabel looking like? Did it... Did you just laugh? Or I mean, he was he was did laughing. He not but even realize what was happening. But I, I think Vrabel was sitting there going, "Let him go! No, yeah, no, no! Probably. Let him go! Let him go! Come on! Let him go!" And he was laughing like, "What are you gonna do? Let him go! Don't stop him!" <laughs> um, so the, the, I thought that was hilarious. That's definitely a not top ten moment for the old Herminator. Seven. Uh, so I don't know. If people know this. I'm sure they don't, but uh, Tom actually has kicked off his his career as a head coach in, in Tom Herman fashion. Um, and I got this uh, recount of events from people that were on his staff there. And also uh, one of his good friends that was on our staff still at Ohio State, is he, uh, I guess he got that job at Houston and just lost his, lost his mind, like lost his cookies. <laughs> he just decided, I'm this big-time head coach, and he would just, he was running around town like wild. And he actually got reprimanded I mean, this is like a month into the job, I think. You have to look at the dates. I don't know. But uh, I guess they have a huge rodeo in Houston. And so him and the staff went there, and I guess he just got blackout drunk maybe a couple nights, was hitting on Booster's wives and just just being a real ass, make, causing a scene. And the, t- the Houston administration had to call him in and say, listen, this is not going to work out. Don't do that. Like, Don't do that. The head coach here can't act like that. Yeah. And so he got reprimanded, like I want to say a month into being a head coach. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget, our one mutual friend was like, Jesus, he can't even stay out of his own way. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, he has since then, I guess, or at least that we know of. Um, but that was that was uh, definitely a not top 10 moment. Uh, big time new head coach. You probably shouldn't go out with your staff in a in, in public, in, in the community, and just get absolutely sloshed drunk and hit on boosters wise. Probably shouldn't do that. Six. Uh this the only way I could title this one is Maryland one and Maryland two. <laughs> um, all that talk, all that hype, all that Tom Herman is gonna change Texas. And he and his team shit their pants against a five and seven and four and eight Maryland team. So I just Kind of brings me up to speed to this year because what he's been there two years, yes, I believe two, right? Yep, just two. So he's lost to Maryland early in the season two years in a row, twice, yeah. And now <laughs> this year he has LSU coming to town instead of Maryland. Instead of Maryland, <laughs> I 
I don't know this to be fact, but I bet you this LSU team is better than those Maryland teams. That pro- I mean, I, I I feel safe to bet that. That's a shot in the dark, but I'll, I agree. So, yeah, I, I again, going back to the point, I think maybe Thomas should focus on Louisiana Tech and LSU uh, this year instead of a little old podcast and a fucking T-shirt, right? <laughs> maybe, because I don't know what he was focused on uh, those two years, but whatever he was focused on, and it kind of gets back to our, our segment we did on how, how well did a training camp go, and it's evaluated by, by your first four games. And if you're losing to Maryland early in the season, two years in a row, you are failing in training camp. And it might be focus-oriented. Maybe you should uh, actually focus on being a head coach and getting a team right. So uh, Maryland 1 and 2 come in at number 6. Let's get to the top 5. 5. So this is another one. Uh, it's, it's higher up on the list because I think it's uh, again, goes back to focus and where you're at as a head coach. But it's actually one of my favorite things he's ever done. Um, I don't believe – did I tell the story about – Ed Warner and demanding all black be his thing. I think you did early, early. You may well, have mentioned it, yeah. I'm uh, pretty sure. Quick backstory for those that either didn't listen or want to re- uh, a refresher. Um, Ed Warner, when he became the coordinator, thought he was like uh, he was like a personality now, like he was a celebrity. And so Urban had this thing. It was kind of unspoken, and you know, no one he never said it, but he would he would wear white, like he'd wear white pullovers and white, you know, white t shirts, and that was like his thing, and like. It it would have it was went on at Florida. It goes on went on at Ohio State. Like when Nike would send those polo or polos, when they would send those pullovers, every coach would get a scarlet one, but Urban got a white one, white one yeah. and no one else got a white one. <laughs> and so it was like it was just this unspoken thing. And so I think Ed's branding idea, instead of being like the best coordinator in college football, was well, if his thing's going to be white, my thing's going to be black. <laughs> and so after our first scrimmage of him being a coordinator. <clears throat> he um he lost his mind on film because there was a defensive intern on on film that was wearing a black t-shirt with black shorts. He lost it. Told our interns, you go tell him right now, that's my thing, all black. He's he's who does he think he is? He can't wear all black. So, anyways, it was this absolute like conceited, ego-driven thing that was just, I mean, it was unbelievable. And and so we all were in shock. The defensive staff was in shock. Dave thought it was hilarious. <laughs> So I had told Tom Herman about it, and I think I'd mentioned the whole all the defensive coaches came out to the next scrimmage wearing all black, just to just to mess with him, just because they had they just thought he was such a clown. And I mean, I, I wore all black. Uh, a couple other coaches wore all black, but and so I had told Tom Herman the story, and so Tom wore all black to their scrimmage that At same Houston? day, and <laughs> and he had pictures taken and sent to us. And it was all over social media, not that he was wearing all black, but pictures of him, just so Ed would see it and be like, son of a bitch, he took my thing. He took my thing. Now I have to switch my thing. And uh, so, again, I loved that one, but uh, I think it goes to focus. But it also shows kind of his, uh, I don't know, maturity level. (laughs) Exactly. Sense of humor. Yeah, sense of humor, too. But that's that's number five. Four. Um, Tom Herman was Here's a little backstory. Tom Herman was getting fired at Iowa State uh, after signing day for his basically his, uh, the best way I could coin it is shit baggedness. <laughs> he was getting fired for his shit baggedness, uh, banging recruiting girls, being a drunken mess, embarrassing the program, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he was slated to get fired. And this is from three people that were on their staff said that, uh, yeah, he was about to get fired. And then uh, miraculously, his agent, Trace Armstrong, if you remember him from uh, the Michael Drake dump, Trace Armstrong, uh, Urban's agent, uh, saved Tom's really his entire career and 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 vaunt, vaunted him into what he is today because he got Urban to hire him as the coordinator. So this guy's about to get fired at Iowa State. I don't know where his career goes from there, but he all of a sudden, his agent gets it done where he gets hired at Ohio State because they have the same agent. And I mentioned that before. That's kind of how it works. If if I'm get a head coaching job and my agent helped me get it, then he'll say, "All right, hey, I got here's a list of names for coordinators. Here's a list of names for position coaches. Like, look at these guys. I really like. I'm hearing good things about these guys. Well, ninety percent of the time, they're the agents' guys too. Yeah. They're trying to advance their own guys' careers. And so, more Tra- money. Trace Armstrong deserves <laughs> a huge uh, high five for for saving Tom Herman's career and really launching him into uh, relevancy and and giving him the opportunity to to do well at Houston and then obviously moving forward. But um, that's a wild turn of events. You're about to get yeah. fired, and you then all of a sudden you're the coordinator at Ohio State. Like, whoa, life comes at you fast. <laughs> <laughs> Three. 
Uh, this is uh, Tom Herman's wife at Iowa State actually uh, got into a bar fight with another assistant coach's ex-wife in Ames, Iowa. Um, so I, I'm not going to name the coach whose ex-wife it was because he's a friend of mine and, and he doesn't deserve to be involved in anything. Um, but I guess they go out and I guess the, the ex-wife wasn't uh, the sanest of sane, which trust me, we can relate to. Um, and and so that they were out at bars, hanging out, the staff, wives, all that. And I guess they ran into this ex-wife and Tom Herman's wife attacked her, like went to beat the shit out of her. And uh, I know that it was part of the reason why Tom was going to get fired was that not only is he out of control, his wife's out of control, everyone's out of control. We can't we can't control them. They can't just be normal functioning citizens. Um, but so that has to be in a, a that's that, that has to be in the top five, right? Right. Oh, no doubt. So uh, that that was just an un, unfortunate event. <laughs> Two. The flight attendant. Yeah. The yep. sex ring setup. The orgies these dallas recruiting <laughs> brethren had set up has to be number two right it was i i, I guess well not i guess it, it was com- one it could have been one uh <laughs> but one's better uh-huh. <laughs> uh I, it was completely unknown to the public i guess until the podcast until in, until the first show when until she reached out to me i mean i knew about it but i didn't know the details of it and certainly didn't have a person there detailing what happened but uh it was very uh Petrino-esque at the Arkansas and the in the recruiting girl or not the recruiting girl whatever she was a recruiting girl right she was on his motorcycle they like got a secretary a or something right yeah. it was very something. similar like Tom's has they have this flight attendant set up and they're bringing all right. these flight attendants to Dallas when the coaches are scheduled to come to Dallas and they all just swing around and and then uh, and then he ends up getting like almost in an accident with the flight attendant in his car the next morning. And she even said in the interview, or not interview, in the conversation with me, like, oh, my God, this could be another Petrino. Like, yeah. we're that so is, we're That so part lucky. is very Petrino-y. Oh, yeah. If he'd, <laughs> if he'd have gotten a wreck, it would have been like Tom Herman and a random flight attendant are in a car. It would have been bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's got to be that's got to be number two, right? Yes. Got to be. So the flight attendant sex ring. <laughs> And uh, all the all the multitude of affairs in Dallas that uh, old Thomas has. I wonder how how it is when he goes to Dallas now to recruit. Probably the same. You think people are like? <laughs> do, you, do you think people are like? Oh, he's got to walk the straight and narrow. Or do you think they're like? He makes five million dollars a year. We have a back room set up with security, no cameras. <laughs> like they have a blackout device that knocks out any cell service. Like, does he have like a legit setup like now? Or, or you better watch out. He might have been a part of that. Uh, the Epstein oh, deal. Jeez, going down to oh, going was, down to Sex Island. Was it was his name on the list? <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't see it. I didn't read through the list. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think the entire list is public, so you never know. What yeah, if he's probably down there? What if Tom Herman is the one that killed him? He <laughs> maybe he did. The, the Texas boosters got to Epstein to save Herman's job. <laughs> I, I I saw that somebody said after after I put out the the uh, everything yesterday about you know what we're doing with the merch store and everything uh someone mentioned he goes man i gotta buy this before uh the before her the hermans go clinton on this guy <laughs> yeah i saw that too <laughs> so if i disappear uh i tell you he's not he's not uh he's not suspect number one but he's number two <laughs> uh, suspect number one is uh n- not to be mentioned i know who it is <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure everyone does but we are not we will not say thy name <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's Voldemort? get to the, let's get to the last one. <laughs> one number one is a, is, is a story that Tom ter- told me about directly, and then uh, I didn't I haven't mentioned it because I thought this was dead until they started sending lawyer letters and things like that. Um, but I've, I've also had probably I'd say anywhere from eight to ten people message me uh, about it on Twitter, and it's people from Iowa State, um, either that worked there at the time or just big time tied in boosters or and you know i i know a lot of people at iowa state just my grandfather was a head coach there and so i mean i don't want to say i know a lot of people but i know some people that know people there and so anyways I, i've received a lot of messages about it but I, I i got the the word from the horse's mouth um that tom herman got caught having an affair with a recruiting girl at iowa state and this is part of the reason he was getting fired because he was uh, banging, he started banging this recruiting girl at Iowa State when he first got the job before his family got there, and then he just continued this affair. Um, and about ten people messaged me about it because I guess then, then when his wife found out about it, it was bad. It was bad. I, 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 there's, there's, uh, how do you say this? 
slight rumors that she was pregnant and uh, his career was going to be ruined. And, and I don't, I don't know the details of, about her. I, I, I know her name and I'm not going to say it. Obviously I don't, I haven't talked to her and that wouldn't be fair to her, but, um, but yeah, apparently it was really bad. Um, and he was, that was going to derail his career. So that would have been a not top 10 moment. The head coach of Texas, who has been a successful head coach, probably will be an even more successful head coach. Could, could, could have had it all derailed because of a recruiting girl. Well, that doesn't always like cause the end of your career is having an affair and having a illegitimate child. Yeah. I mean, just look at Dan Mullen. Yeah, I know, but but <laughs> but that wasn't an affair. And, and sleeping with someone in the office is is, well, is grounds for termination for sure. It was why I never did yeah. it. Never did it even when I was single. It was just a, like a rule I had. I didn't even really talk to the girls in the office because it was um, that just it's just it's just an easy way to ruin your life. Yeah. And, uh, uh it, but to be honest with you, being in the industry, it happens all the time. I mean, all the time. I'm I know. sure. I, I used to talk to a, a girl when I was single after, after I was divorced, <laughs> I, I talked to a girl who used to be a recruiting girl in Alabama and she, I mean, God, the stories she would tell me sure. about those, those coaches when they were there. And all you got to do is look at who worked there over the last five years and, and just the stories of the recruiting girls and these coaches. And I mean, it's just, and it goes on a lot of places. So this is not an uncommon thing, but it's just uh, something. I guess it's it's uncommon that you're that deep into it. That I mean, I don't know for sure if he got her pregnant, but if he did, mm-hmm. that's 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 a little deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's got to be number one: having an affair <laughs> with a recruiting girl. That's a good segment. But I, I think we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Menace, Menace to society. Welcome back. We had to put a little transition in there because that was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, that just was good. Kind of getting back to how the show started, <laughs> which we will do from time to time because uh, as we mentioned, episode one, two, four, twelve. This is going to be raw and uncut. This is going to be real life. This is going to be an insider's account into college football, the side you don't get to see. But it's also going to be our analysis of uh, actual football. <laughs> it's, we're not just going to talk about the indiscretions of Tom Herman every episode. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, there, might be, there might be enough content to do that, though. It, 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 the show could last. <laughs> well, if he continues coaching and I keep getting uh, stories, it, it might go on forever <laughs> until retirement, until his retirement or resignation or <laughs> either way. Or firing. Yeah, one of, the, one of those. <laughs> either way. Um, we want to dive into another week three matchup. Like we mentioned before, there's three or four games that we can't just knock out week three in one episode. There's too many excellent games. These are when the games get really good. I mean, week one, you got one or two games that, that are nationally relevant, you'd say. Week two, you got maybe two or three. And then week four, it's like you got six or ten. I mean, it's when the matchups start rolling in. Uh, you start getting some conference play and some national national powerhouses meeting up. And that's our two teams today, Georgia and Notre Dame. Yeah, this is a huge matchup early in the season. Huge matchup. I love it. Two playoff teams. Or not two playoff teams, but, but two playoff relevant teams, right? One went last year. The other actually failed to make it and lost to Texas in the bowl game. But uh, Georgia's definitely a playoff team this Georgia, year. Georgia, I, I don't think they really cared about that bowl game. That no, they, 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 just, no. they were not happy to be there. Yeah, but they felt like they got snubbed. Yeah. But you know what? That's I, I, I agree. I hear that all the time. That's a bullshit excuse, though. <laughs> like You still got to go play the game. I'm with you. So what Texas, I guess Texas cared because they were playing Georgia? Probably. Absolutely. It was a, it was a way for them to get back on the map as a relevant team. Yeah, right. Well, I know this, that, that around the country there's a buzz that this is Georgia's shot. This is Georgia's year. To become uh, one of the dominant teams in the country, to, to, to vault themselves into that Alabama-Clemson conversation. And uh, you, you, you threw out a stat uh, right before, we, while we were on a break, and it was insane. What was that stat again? Yeah, so Georgia's played Alabama twice in the past two years, and of those two games, Al- or Georgia has either led or been tied with Alabama on 281 out of 290 total plays. Wow. Jeez. So, so there's only been nine they, plays in two years where they were losing. And they lost both. And they lost both games. Wow. Which which is that just, just goes to show you where they are as programs, right? Those nine plays were evidence of a team that can survive and finish and a team that just wasn't quite there. So I know people definitely in, in Dog Nation are, are really hopeful and excited that this is the year that they can take that next step and finish off the Alabamas of the world. And it's going to be an early test right here with Notre Dame to find out can they do that right now. 
Uh, they got a lot of question marks. This is I, I, I don't see this uh, vaunted, dominant Georgia team that everyone else sees, but I do see a really, really good and young, talented team that could develop into a nationally relevant team. But let's dive into it. Uh, when Georgia's on offense against Notre Dame, um, first thing to, to yeah, mention. The first one is Jake Fromm. Yeah, they got the Frominator. Can't go away the from Frominator. Yeah. They got the Frominator. <laughs> and and Fromm from comes in leading six returning starters on offense. Um, an offense that looks to establish itself as a nationally relevant and efficient offense. Uh, they finished 18th offense in the country last year, but um, they're really riding riding the. Uh, it's, it's it's a one stallion offense right now. I like Fromm. I do when he's uh, when he's kept clean. I really like him. Uh, he can't throw the deep ball very well. We we discussed that on two different episodes, um, and and I think uh, there's two huge question marks in Georgia right now. One, they have a virgin offensive coordinator in James Cooley. James Coley's a, never called a play before. I don't think he's really a virgin. I think he's a virgin play caller. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, um, oh but he, he's going he's gonna to attempt to call plays for the first time in his career, and so that, that's not a, a, a knock on what they will be able to do on offense, but it's an unknown. It's an unknown, yeah. You Complete just don't unknown. know what's going to happen. Yeah. So. And so it, that, that's one huge question mark. And the other question mark is they don't have any wide receiver. They have young talent at wide receiver, but they don't have anyone with experience. They don't have anyone – you caught yourself you there. Caught you were about to say you don't. They don't have, <laughs> don't any, have wide any wide receivers, receivers, and Georgia fans were about to They're get real lose. pissed again. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I they know. don't have any wide receivers. They're going to lose four or five games. Well, we detailed right? we detailed that <laughs> last I think two episodes ago because I got crucified for saying they had none. Um, and but they don't. They don't have any receivers that are nationally relevant. That are not just young talent that they hope perform. Um, they've lost. They lost everything. Uh, especially they lost their best returning receiver in Jeremiah Holloman when he got dismissed from the team. Now, what they didn't lose is their truly their best receiver is yeah. DeAndre Swift. Yeah, he's 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 Heisman hopeful, dual threat, best running back and wide receiver on the entire team. Um, the best way I look at it is think Alvin Kamara, um, but the the one for the Saints, not the one for Tennessee, <laughs> not Tennessee, the not the Tennessee Kamara, where they didn't even like use him use at it, all, yep. uh, but the one for the Saints where they use him like in every possible scenario. And so that's going to be that's going to be the whole question. Can Notre Dame somehow contain arguably the best overall player in college football in DeAndre Swift? Um, now, what Georgia does have is arguably the best offensive line in college football. I mean, they have four O linemen with starting experience and a fifth that looks to be maybe their best one. Certainly, the top interior O lineman uh, in one of the top o- interior O linemen in the country. Uh, the returning starters are led by the offensive tackle, left tackle, uh, I think he's right tackle, actually, Andrew Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's the third-rated, if you look at pro football focus, he's the third-rated tackle going into this next draft be- well, before the season. I just saw Mel Kuyper came out with his way-too-early draft projection. No, the big board. And he, Andrew Thomas is number six overall, yeah. top OT. Which, I mean, you know, it, what does that mean? Nothing, Nothing. really, other <laughs> other than he's... He's nationally he's, he's really good. Yeah, he's nationally viewed as an elite tackle. Now he's got to have got to have a great year this year to s- solidify that place, but he he's he's kind of that pillar on one side. And then the, the other one that that I think everyone that looks into it uh, is talking about and wants to see is their uh, guard Ben Cleveland. He's the fourth rated interior lineman in the draft by Pro Football Focus. Uh, the only thing he hasn't played a ton. He's played uh, like 550 snaps, 560, something like that in his career. But he's poised to have a monster year. So they're, they're going to really have to ride that offensive line, ride DeAndre Swift, and then they're going to have to have some receivers show up and make make some plays. Uh, we'll see if they're able to do that. I, I don't love the corners at Notre Dame, which we'll get to in a minute. So I think they got a chance here. But it's going to be an intriguing matchup. If they can contain DeAndre Swift, then they're going to they're be right in this ballgame. And if they can't, then obviously it's it's not going to go well for the old Fighting Irish. But you look at Notre Dame's defense, and I mean they have six starters returning on defense, and, uh, and, and probably I think I mentioned it when we broke down Notre Dame, probably the best safety duo in the country. Uh, so that's that's exciting. Um, their their corners are suspect, and there's a lot of questions uh, in, as to how they'll be this year uh, on a national stage. But uh, they do have they have three senior pass rushing DNs that, that should be really good. I know everyone's talking about Chase Young right now at Ohio State is the top DN in the country, and I I could not agree more. He's the most dominant defensive end prospect in the country this year. But don't count out Notre Dame's Julian Akawara. 
I mean, he's the third highest rated edge defender in, uh, the, going into this year. He had 21 QB hurries, eight sacks in 2018. I mean, he he's looking to take that next step and and kind of challenge a Chase Young and some of these other dominant DNs is, is the best DN in college football. Uh, now, the only caveat to that is I think Notre Dame's got the offensive line to handle him, uh, to handle a, a great pass rusher, and most most off, offensive lines cannot. I mean, and obviously the, the absolute exceptional ones, it doesn't matter who the offensive lineman is. You watch Joey Bosa play, you could put the best tackle in the country on him, and it was not going to matter. He was going to get his. Um, so it's, it's a good matchup to watch, and, and Julian, it'll be fun to watch him play in this game because I'm sure on a big stage he'll show up. They definitely, uh, after losing Jerry Tillery, they, they lack depth at D-tackle, right? And Terry. Terry Gillery. Terry. <laughs> Terry Gillery. Terry Gillery. <laughs> so the interior D-line is, is gonna ha- is, has a lot to prove. And uh, and they have some young linebackers. Uh, I, I, I don't love them. I, I honestly hadn't heard of many of them uh, in recruiting. Uh, but replacing guys like Drew Clank- Tranquil and Tavon Coney is no no small task for a defense that really is going to have to kind of reinvent themselves and, and develop some guys to, to stop an offense like Georgia, DeAndre Swift, and Jake Fromm. Uh, now, they're talking about this secondary, though. Jalen Elliott and then the kid that transferred from Navy is unbelievable, Alohi Gilman. Those two should be probably the best safety combo in the country. Uh, I know Alohi Gilman was another one of those guys that was in the top five at his position for this year's draft going into the season. And uh, they'll, they'll have a chance to be one of the nation's best. And then losing uh, losing two guys to the NFL at corner really really isn't gonna isn't gonna help their their matter here their what what they're trying to get done. Um, so uh, Tony Pry Jr. returns at corner, which I think is the one guy that they'll be able to count on with that has some experience and is a vet. Uh, but the other corner position is a major concern. So I I really think. Uh, it, that is that is going to be the matchup to watch. I think the other side of the ball is 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 kind of convincing on who has the edge, but Notre Dame's got to find a way to have the edge on defense against this offense that lacks skill on the perimeter. They have to. Now the the problem being they have a dominant running back and an athlete and playmaker, and then one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So it's 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 a matchup that Notre Dame has to find a way to exploit for sure. Now when Notre Dame's on offense, is it, it's it's really a battle of two units that are built with experience. I mean, Notre Dame has eight returning starters on offense. What they don't have is a, is a, is an elite quarterback, right? I mean, Ian book took over the position game four last year. I know he, he did, he went to all the passing gurus and academies and he's, he's doing it all. Um, but I don't, I don't think you can, uh, you, you, you can't, uh, paint a leopard and it doesn't have spots right yeah so I, I was reading a lot about ian book's off-season training program and everything like that and i guess i have a question that i am interested so what they're working with him on right now is really forcing him to push the ball down the field and maybe make some throws that are questionable throws fit it in tight spots knowing it's going to be a lot of interceptions in fall camp <laughs> but hopefully making him more comfortable with taking risks now in my opinion, if you train that way, aren't you going to make those same decisions in the game and then throw a lot of picks? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I guess there's different ways to look at it. Uh, I don't. Uh, one thing I don't think will happen is pushing the ball down the field and making mistakes, throwing a bunch of picks, is not going to make him more confident to do that in a game. That's for sure. Um, he he probably was a little trigger shy on taking those shots, which you can't do. Otherwise, teams will sit on every route you have. But at the end of the day, you got to hit them. That was the biggest problem we had when we had JT Barrett was, man, they sit on everything. Like It's hard yeah. for receivers to get open. They sit on everything. Well, then we just absolutely destroy them on a deep route, and we wouldn't hit it. And it's like they're still going to sit on everything until you make them pay. And people would criticize the receiver saying, oh, they can't get open. No separation. It's like, no, no, no. Watch the vertical route. They got wide open. You have to hit it. And if you hit it, everything else opens up. So he probably needs to take those shots when, he, when they're there to open everything else up. But – but it just goes it goes back to is he an elite quarterback or not? You watch Trevor Lawrence or Tua or Dwayne Haskins and those guys are they're connecting. I mean, they they get a deep shot. You should watch Haskins the other day in the preseason game. Guy's barreling down on him. He flicks his wrist 45 yards, I mean, on the money, a dime. In and, stride. And it just everything opens up after that. And so yeah, it's definitely something that he needs to work on and do, but but that's not it's a lot easier said than done. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, they, they definitely uh, they they 
Notre Dame has some skill players that they're they're going to look to to lean on. I know the the one uh, Jafar Armstrong who who moved to running back from receiver. Uh, he was injured and then suspended, and he's a the guy they're counting on, right? And uh, they also they lost Miles Boykin, who was one of the receivers on their entire roster that I'd heard of and all, and and evaluated. Uh, but I, I just the, the the guy that that needs to step up and and that I did offer and recruit is a kid named Kevin Austin out of South Florida, really phenomenal kid, uh, talented kid, a big receiver. He's got to he's got to take a step. He's got to become a, a a national receiver. He's got to have a big year. And if he does, then they got a chance on offense, right? Uh, now Georgia's defense, the, the, they're walking into a buzzsaw. Uh, probably, this is arguably one of the best defenses going into the season in the country. Uh, they returned seven starters and the, probably the most talented young secondary in the SEC, um, <laughs> unless you watch the bowl game. <laughs> so if you just pretend they didn't play Texas and didn't just absolutely shit the bed, uh, it's probably one of the most talented young secondaries in the country. But as aforementioned, that there's a lot of dynamics in those bowl games, especially for a team that has been a playoff team that doesn't make the playoffs. And it, the, we could talk about that whole conversation later, but culturally you you have to have it on i mean you have to have your culture right to go out in a non-playoff game when that's your expectation and perform and obviously they didn't have that last year but another thing they they lost it's been news is five-star dn that we recruited was committed to ohio state uh brenton cox he exited the program and went to the the old florida gators uh so that's that was a big loss that was a guy they were counting on thought probably thought was going to be a starter you can just transfer from georgia to florida they they allow that? Uh, I I didn't hear that. I know there was news. I did. They just kick I him off the team. I didn't I didn't read into the story, but it looked it sounded pretty interesting because he got uh, he was talking about transferring, entered the portal, got dismissed from Georgia, went to Florida. Uh, I mean, he played in thirteen of fourteen games last year. Had like twenty some tackles. He he was a consistent player. Um, was going to be a starter. So I'm not sure what happened at Georgia, but obviously something. Yeah, but either way, uh, I have I, I know it just they just uh, talked about it, and I, I want to say he got cleared by the NCA, but I don't know that. But I know that that they're trying to get him cleared, obviously trying hard, and I'd imagine Georgia's not too happy about him being cleared <laughs> at, at their rival. But you know what else they have? They have six players on that defense that were five star recruits uh, I, I, coming out of high school, and they have a freshman linebacker that everyone in, in the state or really in, in Georgia fans are just raving about, uh, Nicobe Dean. Who people are saying he's an absolute monster and, and should be a guy that makes an immediate impact and their and their top rated recruit too Noah Nolan Smith, uh, the linebacker out of Savannah. He, he you gotta you gotta think he'll be able to make an impact also being the top top recruit out of one of the top classes in the country. Um, now their secondary is where they're young, they're extremely talented, and the corner position really needs to make the biggest jump they have in my opinion. Uh, they they have a guy that's a future Thorpe Award finalist in Tyson Campbell. We recruited him. He was our top-ranked corner in the country. He's a six-foot-three kid with um, ridiculously fluid hips that can flat fly. I'm talking about track star, game speed, you name it. He should be a guy that takes a huge step this year. So <clears throat> I don't really – I don't even – I think this is a, a lopsided matchup on this side of the ball for Georgia. I think Georgia's defense just absolutely overwhelms Notre Dame. And I think that that ends up that and being in Georgia is a huge, huge mountain that Notre Dame can't overcome. I was going to say the same thing. It's in Athens. That's going to be difficult. Yeah. And, and <laughs> side note, one of the few places I've never been in the SEC. Yeah. Well, actually, it might be the only one I've never been to in the SEC because of the because you go to uh, the, Jacksonville the right? cocktail party. Yeah. World's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah. So uh, it, it, prediction time. What do you guys got? I am thinking Ian Book struggles, obviously, against the defense. And <clears throat> Jake Fromm just tears apart that defense, and they win, I'd say, 34-10. to 10. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm going with Georgia as well. I, I don't think it's remotely close even. Um, oh, I'd be boy. surprised if Ian Book leads Notre Dame to a touchdown. Uh, really? I'm, I'm going to go with 38-3. to 3. Wow. Wow. Do you have to turn in your card? Yeah. No, I, I think most Notre Dame fans would even agree with me on that. <laughs> you think, but you don't know that. I guess we'll find out. All right. Well, I, I got to agree. I think Georgia makes a national statement, and it's it's going to yeah. be a statement that they really, uh, when, when they do it, it's going to vaunt them. They'll probably take over like the number one ranking or something like that. They're going to really, th this is going to be their statement game, that they're going to have to ride the momentum into the SEC schedule to go beat the Floridas and somehow find a way to beat an Alabama if they get there. And really, the, 
I've mentioned it before. I think they're they're not a lock in to win the East, but they're a lock in to win this game. I think Georgia rolls the Fighting Irish thirty one to seven at home, and uh, Notre Dame has a lot of issues because now they're looking at another blow and the program, the culture. They're, they watch out for Notre Dame and how their season goes after this. I mentioned it when we broke down their season. I think they're a four loss team, and if they lose this one bad, that could become a five six loss team real quick. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not excited about Notre Dame's chances in this one, uh, but it's definitely one of our uh, games of the week, week three. And so I looked for Georgia to really pull this one out in a convincing fashion. Now, I want to take this uh, opportunity real quick just to uh, kind of let you know what we got going on uh, on our Patreon. It's a subscription-based service. It basically, you get the, the episode a day early, and we're putting out a, a bunch of other additional content. Uh, we've already put out a number of things, a number of videos, behind-the-scenes looks, and we're also going to uh, drop two new videos over uh, the ne- Well, today's we're going to drop one, the Tom Herman video we talked about. Then I'm going to put out a video about the impact of a player that is really awesome. So I'm going to put that out uh, in the next couple days. So you definitely want to check that out, Patreon subscribers, and if you're, you're not a subscriber, you should check it out. Uh, all in and VIP get um, not only do you get video content that we're putting out, but also the VIP members are going to get a discount code probably today. As soon as I ensure that the store is working, you're going to get a discount code on all of our merchandise, but but specifically the new shirt, the the uh, frequent flyer dunce shirt that we put out. <laughs> Um, so make sure you check that out. And again, you'll get a, a discount code on not only the merchandise we have now, but all future merchandise. Uh, we will we will shoot you a new discount code every probably every time something new comes out. Give you a, a couple like a week window to to go ahead and order, so that uh, obviously it doesn't get leaked and a bunch of people get discounts that that don't pay to be a subscriber. But uh, coming off the heels of that, let's dive into a, an over under segment. Uh, what do you got for me today for over under? All right, so. Uh... Since we talked about Georgia and Notre Dame, I figure we'll start with them and, and just total wins for the year. So um, I got Georgia's over-under on total wins was set by Vegas at 11 wins. 11. I, I think they get 11 in the regular season. The only game I think they have a chance of losing is Florida. I was going to say this exact same thing. Florida, I think, is a loss. Yeah, it, you know, we'll dive into that. Obviously, that's later later in the season matchup. Uh, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see where that's at come come game time. But uh, on the, I look at their schedule. That's the one that I I'm, I would be even concerned about. I mean, the, Notre Dame. We just detailed. I think that's going to be a win. Um, outside of that, uh, I really. I mean, at Tennessee won't be easy. At Auburn will certainly be a tough game. Uh, but other than that, I, so I, I'm I'm saying over. I think they over. get they get 12 wins on the season for sure. Uh, maybe more. I think they'll over for sure. I think they'll probably lose the SEC championship and then win their bowl game. So that's okay. I got them at twelve. If, if they make it to the SEC championship, that's true. I guess they got Florida. Yeah, yeah. If they have them losing Florida. to Florida. You know? <laughs> yeah, they lose. But to- I'm going over as well. I think they end up with 12, 13 wins. All right, next uh, let's go with Notre Dame. Eight and a half. Eight and a half wins for the Fighting Irish. That Vegas set it at eight and a half. Yep. Mm. That puts you right on that cusp of nine and three, eight and four that we've talked about. Well, I think they go. I already mentioned. It. I think they're an eight and four team this year, especially if they lose to Georgia in a convincing fashion. So I'm going to go under again. I think they got they got eight wins on the schedule. I don't think they beat Georgia. I don't think they beat USC. Uh, I don't think Michigan. they win at Michigan, and then I think they drop an at Duke or a Boston College or certainly an at Stanford. Uh, those, I think they're an eight win team this year. But what about their bowl game? That could push them to nine. Uh, well, I think they're an eight-win team this year. Okay, All I just right. I just mentioned six games. I think they could lose. I bet okay. they lose, and it depends on their bowl matchup. I yeah. guess it could. Yeah, if they play uh, like Toledo. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say under as well. Under. I'm gonna go with yeah. the over on that one. Over. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> I think they'll find a way to get nine. Yeah. All right, now let's go with the Buckeyes. The Buckeyes over under is set at ten and a half. Mm. Ten and a half with bowl game and potential Big Ten champ. I'm going yep. over. Going over, I think at Michigan's going to be really tough. Uh, we de- we went through the whole schedule. I think at Nebraska is going to be a, a challenge. Cincinnati early is going to be a challenge. Um, other than that, uh, I, I think I, I think they go they'll they'll win eleven games minimally this year, including postseason play. Yep, I agree. I'm going with the over as well. I'm going to say under. Under. Yeah, mm-hmm. they have a lot of tough games that I don't I don't they'll compete, and I'm not sure that Justin Fields will be ready. Oh, all right. Well, then let's let's go with the uh, the rival in the game, Michigan. Over under nine and a half wins. 
Ooh, nine and a half, huh? Yeah, they uh, Vegas obviously not as high as everybody else on them. Well, they're predicted to win the Big Ten. What the heck? How, how do they have less wins than Ohio State? Predicted, predicted? by who? Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, I think over again. I, I think they're they're going to have a solid, solid year, and, and they might they might drop one they're not supposed to, like an at Penn State or or certainly uh, beating Michigan State has, has been a tall task, and, and obviously beating Ohio State. So there's, I think there's three questionable games. I think they pull at least one of those out, and so now they're a ten and two team leading into the postseason. So I think they're over over nine and a half. I'd put all my chips on that one. I'd say over as well. I only really see a problem with Penn State. It's at Penn State. It's going to be well, probably a whiteout. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So that's the only one that I think that they'll lose. Yeah, I'm going over as well. I think they definitely at least get 10 or 11 wins. Yep. Um, and then just uh, in honor of the shirt that dropped and everything going on, Texas, nine and a half wins. Nine and a half wins. I'm, I'm going to go... Hey, nine and a half on the season though. Yeah. So ten wins on the season. Yep. So if they can win if they go nine and three and win a bowl game, that's over. I'm taking over. I think I don't think they beat Oklahoma. I don't think they beat LSU. Uh, then that puts them at ten and two. If they can beat West Virginia away, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going over with a bowl game. I agree, hundred percent over. Do they do they face Maryland? Yeah, I don't think they have Maryland. No, that's they've so replaced that's, it with LSU, correct? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I guess I'll go over. If they had Maryland, I was saying also eight Maryland. Four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. All right. So let's switch it up a little bit here. I'm sure you guys watch and uh, pay attention to the Baker Mayfield stuff that goes on with Colin Cowherd on social media. They have a oh, nice yeah. little back and forth relationship. Um, so Cowherd loves to talk about Baker and the Browns. How many times do you think Colin Cowherd will tweet about Baker Mayfield from now until the first game of the season? I set the over under at nine and a half tweets. Nine and a half in what two a little over two weeks? Yeah, about fifteen days or so. Mm. I'll I'll go under. I think I think Baker remains kind of quiet the, after the Daniel Jones fiasco. I think he remains kind of quiet. I, uh, Cal Hurd will still find a way to tweet about him seven times. Yeah. I, I'm going under nine and a half. I think it's way over. <laughs> Gone over. <laughs> way I, over. I was uh, I was going to take the under too, but I'm thinking about it, he he just finds ways to talk about Baker. Yeah. I mean, it, it, even if it's like Tom Everything. Brady does something, he's like, "You see Baker? That's how you do it. Don't be a dick." <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so I'm going to go over, actually. All I'm right. It's over. Well, give me one more. All right. So uh, I I'm, I saw just today and saw Harbaugh in, in a book that just got released was quoted as saying, it's hard to beat cheaters when talking about recruiting in the SEC. So he's yeah. obviously blaming the SEC and, and them cheating. He's a big complainer, for sure. Exactly. Yep. So I, I thought of, you know, how many times this year, from now until the end of the season, do you think Jim Harbaugh places blame on somebody other than himself, his coaching staff, or players for their lack of production and success? I said it three and a half comments or times. So that'd be like if uh, JT Barrett was short. Yeah, if, if somebody a got one. a first down and he <laughs> said he didn't get a first down, that's a complaint. That's, that's not a, taking okay. ownership of a loss. All right. I'm going under. I think they, they have a, a really successful year. He'll certainly have three uh, finger-pointing incidents, but I think because they're going to have a, a, a better year, I, I, I bet you he stays under three and a half. I'm taking the under. And you're saying he doesn't have the opportunities to complain as much? Right. I mean, there's not going to be as much to complain about because they're going to win more. So it's like, what's he going to complain about if they win? I'm with you. I, I just think he'll find something to complain about. More than three and a half might. times. He might. <laughs> He's a weird dude, so I'm going over. He'll he'll complain about something, even if it's just he the, the now, color of a shirt. If it was Mike Leach, I mean, you'd have to set that thing at fifty because <laughs> he'll start complaining about politics or history or, or or like Key West vacations. Well, it really just depends on how the pickle squirts this year. <laughs> that's the way the pickle squirted. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I, I like that over under. That's a good segment. But like I said, we're gonna track it. I want to see who who. Who grades out the 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 highest in the over under prediction? So it'll be me. We're gonna have to make a spreadsheet <laughs> on that. But uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. Definitely, uh, really excited about this this show, this episode specifically. I um, also want to talk about what we're doing in the future. We already mentioned it. Menace to Sports is going to be the new platform, and we're going to have the Pro Ohio Sports show about the initially the Browns, Bengals, Indians, I guess the Reds, <laughs> and then the Jackets moving into the, the winter. And also going to dive into the Midwest, uh, Menace to the Midwest, which is going to be a Midwest college football show. We have a couple segments that we're going to do on all three shows. One is going to be called Film Forensics, and it's going to be on all three shows. It's going to be breaking down the key plays of the game in the coach's film room detailing exactly what happened, 
why it happened, and what that meant in the course of the game. Really want to dive into kind of the coaches' film sessions, like what we used to do when we'd sit down and watch the film, the conversation, and the discussion and the detail about what happened on that play. And I'm not going to sit there say and say we're going to go through every play of a game, but we'll certainly pick five five impactful plays, maybe more, and dive into them. Say what happened, like what happened, and then also we're gonna we we have a um, a, a guru, a gambling guru <laughs> that uh, that that will forever remain nameless. But his segment of gambling advice going into this fall for both college and NFL will be called Peepaw's Picks. So Peepaw's Picks will be launching uh, starting really. We probably should start it next episode, right? And, mm-hmm. and give some gambling advice, some predictions, and we're going to track him too because we like we like performers, <laughs> not talkers. Uh, but want to thank you for tuning in for sure. Uh, uh, again, like we mentioned, every show our, our sponsorship and advertising platform is still open and available. Uh, if you if you're interested, please reach out uh, sponsorship at menacesocietypodcast dot com or just reach out on our website menacesocietypodcast.com. Uh, you can go to contact us and, and hit us up there. Um, and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you were entertained. Hope you liked it. And as we say, if you didn't, go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> Menace to society.